This is Fearless Beauties, a podcast dedicated to developing voices of color in the beauty industry. We're talking to estheticians, skin specialists, and business owners to uncover best skin practices, tactical career tips, and ultimately, how we can create a better beauty industry together. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. And I'm your other host, Taylor Phillips. This week on Fearless Beauties, we're chatting about the next chapter in the Fearless Beauties book, South Asian Skin. And since we have lots to go over in this episode, we're going to be covering it with just the two of us again. Ah, Taylor, I love it when we get a chance to chat. So let's get started. All right, so let's dive right in. What is the number one misconception that estheticians face when treating South Asian skin? I think the number one misconception about South Asian skin is not understanding exactly what geographical region we're talking about. Actually, until we had our book edited with an EDI specialist, I really thought we were talking about just East Indian skin. But I learned that we're really talking about anyone from Bhutan, India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, the Maldives, Afghanistan, Nepal, and Kashmiri. South Asia also represents the south region of the Asian continent. It's bound by the Indian Ocean to the south and by the West Asia, Central Asia and South Asia. It's a huge geographical area that has a lot of diversity. Taylor, what kind of thoughts do you have when you think South Asia? To be honest, Mary, I just think about the southern part of Asia and not the representation of the people who live there. And hopefully that doesn't sound idiotic in any way, but geography was never a strong point for me. Nonetheless, it never ceases to amaze me how much I learned from the Fearless Beauties book, more than just facts about skin. So one of the questions I did have was, what is the difference between Asian skin, which is the first chapter in our book, and South Asian skin? So let's talk about that. What are their similarities and differences? Well, South Asian skin has more congruency with Western European skin in terms of oil gland and hair follicle distribution, but more similarities with black skin in terms of pigmentation. Black skin has the highest functioning melanocytes and South Asian skin comes in second. It doesn't have as much of a tool and sensitivity problem as Asian skin, but our South Asian clients still struggle with acne, PIH, and melasma, just like other BIPOC clients. Yeah, see, that's very interesting because I would presume that with knowing that information, there is a lot you can take away from how to treat Asian skin and black skin into how you treat South Asian skin. And if this is your first episode tuning in, Mary and I have done deep dives into both Asian and black skin. So I would definitely check those out after listening to this one. Now, moving forward, we, of course, always start with the consultation. So what key things do estheticians need to keep in mind when doing a consultation with a South Asian client? Well, like we say in every episode, taking time to really understand your South Asian client their lifestyle, culture, and diet, along with doing a really thorough skin analysis is going to be the best way to create a treatment plan that's going to work. Shadism is a value in a lot of South Asian cultures that is really a holdover from both English colonialism and the East Indian caste system. 
People who have lighter skin tones are considered more attractive. Studies have shown they have a higher income level. Uh, They get promoted more often. There's a lot of shaming that goes along with having darker skin. They even have an app that will lighten your skin in a photo with a marketing promotion that it's going to make you more attractive on social media and dating sites. It's really, really common to use skin lighteners and brighteners. So you're going to have to question your client about their home skincare routine. And my personal experience is they aren't always going to be quite truthful in telling you what they're already using if they are using something to lighten their pigmentation, because then they're going to layer your product with their product and sometimes thinking it's going to be better or make their skin lighter faster. Sometimes this can cause some skin irritation. So I'm always mindful to stress that if they are using something at home, I need to know about it so it isn't going to cause a negative reaction on their skin. Well, if dishonesty can be a trend with these situations, I think it's also important to put the issue of skin lightening and brightening out there because layering their products with SD recommended products, that can be counterproductive. Honesty breeds a successful SD client relationship, really any relationship. It's just really important to get to know your client and not only what products they're using at home, but why they are using it. Their why will really help you as an SD understand why they came to you in the first place. And that could really help the skincare journey go a lot smoother. So, Mary, what about food in South Asia? How does that affect South Asian skin? South Asian food is really full of antioxidants and things that are good for your skin. So understanding if your client is eating a traditional South Asian diet or a more Americanized diet with fast foods, processed foods, sugar. I mean, I'm learning more and more about the gut-skin connection, and it has really made me more mindful about questioning clients about their diets. Yeah, I believe we talked about that in the last episode. The American diet is pretty horrible. And those coming from other countries or continents with different eating habits and all around biology, the processed foods, sugars, and even the large serving sizes here in America, that can really take a toll on their bodies. And it's a really big problem, which can lead to so many health disparities like diabetes and cardiovascular problems. Absolutely. I've been reading and learning more about the gut biome and the skin biome and how connected they are, and it's been fascinating for me. Anyway, South Asia, particularly East India, is committed to Ayurvedic medicine, so I think it's important to know if your clients have any Ayurvedic practices. I think you then have to consider a more organic, holistic approach because it's going to fit in with their belief system and their lifestyle, and they're going to be more compliant in following uh, your recommendations for a skincare plan. Taylor, am I forgetting anything? Well, I just want to mention that Ayurvedic medicine is very interesting. And for anyone that doesn't know, it's the belief that a person's health is controlled by a balance of their mind, body, and spirit. And they use the balance of doshas or life energies to control a person's overall health. So this cultural practice is something that SDs should definitely keep in mind during their consultation with their South Asian clients. All right, so let's move on to skin diseases and disorders. 
What are the most common skin disorders for South Asian skin and what causes them? South Asian skin has a couple of really unique disorders. The first one is paradoxical hair growth. Paradoxical means contradictory. So treatment for hair removal may actually cause the rare side effect of fine hair growth instead. It's a phenomenon that's not really well understood, but studies indicate it happens most often if you use a 755 nanometer alexandrite wavelength laser in laser hair removal. It typically occurs in areas where South Asian women might have downy hair, usually the sides of the face, edges of the forehead, back of the neck. Instead of hair loss, women suddenly experience a denser hair growth pattern. I actually remember when a study came out about women who had undergone laser hair removal and then experienced even more hair growth. At that time, the doctors I was working for were just about to pull the trigger and buy a laser hair removal laser, and then they stopped until further research showed that it was peculiar to South Asian and Mediterranean skin only. Yeah, that is definitely unique and very informative for SDs who may have experienced this with their clients. The second disorder is periorbital hyperpigmentation, or dark circles around the eyes. It's categorized as level 1 through level 4. Level 1 is a faint hyperpigmentation around the eyes, and level 4 is a deeper pigmentation that extends onto the lower and upper lids, as well as around the eyes themselves. Yeah, and I just wanted to add for periorbital hyperpigmentation, Many studies have been done, and it's been concluded that there are both genetic and hormonal components to this, since it seems to affect more women than men. And what I did not know, which I thought was interesting, was that the skin around the eyes is the thinnest on the body. So this has a lot to do with the severity of the dark circles. You're right. A third common skin condition with South Asian skin is acne. It is a real struggle to manage the acne, control the breakouts, and then the pH that follows. And South Asian women are dealing with melasma, the hormonal pigmentation that has that symmetrical pattern on the cheeks, forehead, the chin, the neck, the upper lip. Yeah, and just like darker Fitzpatrick skin types, I wanted to add that South Asian skin can experience hyperpigmentation due to vitamin D deficiency, and they experience a lot, Mary. I know. I I was thinking about all the skin issues that South Asian women deal with, in addition to a cultural pressure to have light-colored skin, and then layer a European standard of beauty from our culture. You know, I've read where self-esteem and body shaming is really common in teen girls, and that extends into adulthood. So, Taylor, how could the esthetician help? I think what we don't talk about a lot is the fact that SDs normalizing imperfect skin is so important. So yes, they can help you reach your attainable skin goals, but it's also okay if your skin doesn't look like the next person's or doesn't reach where you want it to be in your time frame. Also, SD's skin aren't perfect. They have to treat their skin just like their clients do. So I think an esthetician can help decrease self-esteem issues and body shaming in girls and women by normalizing imperfect skin and glorifying the beauty of skin and the person behind the skin. Yes, we all want clear, glowing skin, but I think what really ruins the simplicity and uniqueness of beauty is comparison and wanting to look like the next chick on Instagram or wherever. 
Definitely do not want to go off on a tangent, but beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Your skin won't look bad, quote unquote, forever. It just takes some discipline and the right treatment plan. And SDs have to vocalize that. Ugh, I really love that. I love that normalizing imperfect skin and just glorifying the person behind the skin and the beauty inside that person. So we've talked about the most common disorders for South Asian skin and how they're caused. Now, how do we go about treating them, Mary? Well, of course, we're going to go forward using the progressive, not aggressive approach. And make sure your client understands there is not going to be an instant fix. Because of the risks of PIH with an aggressive treatment, you're going to need to condition your client's skin, build up a tolerance to stronger ingredients and progressively stronger treatments. If you're performing microdermabrasion, you want to limit the number of passes and be mindful uh, of the strength in the glycal if you're doing a hydrofacial till you really get familiar with your client's skin reactions. If you want to finish your treatment with a hydrating mask, that's great. And make sure your client has hydrating aftercare products for home. Chemical peels really need a very gentle approach with South Asian clients. A possible reaction to a chemical peel is a transient hyperpigmentation. That means hyperpigmentation from the inflammation that occurs with the shock to the skin from the acid will appear. It will gradually fade, but that is not a reaction your client is going to appreciate. Yeah, especially since PIH is most likely one of the reasons they're seeking help with their skin, the transient hyperpigmentation from the peel, that would set them aback and you could really lose your client's trust. Absolutely. You want to start with an enzyme peel and then progress the strength of your peel series. Transition your client to stronger peel applications with each appointment. When the product is applied to the skin, your client should never feel that the discomfort level is above a 5 on a scale of 1 to 10. The peel might not ever give your client visible sheets of skin peeling from the skin. It might cause some micro-shedding exfoliation. But when your client can tolerate an enzyme peel, then you could progress to a gentle alpha-hydroxy acid peel that would inhibit melanin production, like malic acid, mandelic, azelaic acid. They're great options. The United Kingdom, the Department of Aesthetic Medicine, did a study, and it showed that 20% glycolic acid was effective, um, a 15% lactic acid mixed with a 3.75% TCA also had positive results on pigmentation that lasted four to six months. And South Asian clients also respond really well to salicylic acid. A study in the United Kingdom also demonstrated improvements in under-eye circles with a series of microneedling sessions. For clients with facial hair, a dermaplaning session might be a better option instead of waxing or laser to avoid that risk of paradoxical hair growth. Dermaplaning is definitely smart for paradoxical hair growth because, like we mentioned before, treatment for hair removal can cause a rare side effect of fine hair growth. So moving on into the last topic of this podcast, at-home skin care recommendations for South Asian skin. What should South Asian clients consider having in their skincare routines? 
Having your client start with home skin care for two to three weeks before any professional treatment is going to begin that conditioning process if you're going to include a melanin inhibitor. And South Asian skin does respond well to salicylic acid for acne treatments. SPF is always important. Skin cancer is on the rise globally, and skin cancer is preventable and curable. I think if you educate your clients on sunscreen and they already have a cultural preference to lighter skin, understanding that UV rays cause pigmentation, it wouldn't be hard to convince your South Asian client to use sunscreen. Yes, I agree 100%. All right, Mary. So as we conclude... What are three key things that you would like for listeners to take away from this episode? Wow, I think we have covered a lot. I think my takeaways from today's episode are that South Asian skin is unique and it deserves to have estheticians who have education that's tailored to specifically help them reach their goal of healthy skin. Understanding a bit about the culture and then understanding how to help with melasma, acne, periocular pigmentation, and paradoxical hair growth can really help develop a relationship of trust. Well, I can say that South Asians are geographically diverse, and that is something I definitely learned. Also, their holistic cultural and dietary practices can have a lot to do with their skin health. So it's important to take that into consideration when recommending treatment plans. And lastly, vocalizing that it's okay for your skin to not be quote-unquote perfect is important for Essie's to communicate with their female clients. It's all about loving the skin that you're in. Thank you for listening to Fearless Beauties, a show dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. And I'm your other host, Taylor Phillip. Until next time, keep educating yourself, remember to stay open, and be fearless in the pursuit of creating a better, more inclusive world. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Special thanks to my co-host Taylor and our producers at Quill Inc.